Hey everyone, welcome again to the Bat-Ass Podcast, the Batman the Animated Series Show Podcast, where we talk about Batman the Animated Series. My name is Clay McCormick, and with me is Sean Murphy. Sean, how you doing? Good, man. How you doing? Not too bad. Congratulations on your uh, crowdfunded book, Plot Holes. Yeah, yeah, thanks. I, uh, it's crazy. You know, it started out... But at first, I wasn't sure if I should even do it mm-hmm. because of COVID. And then I was like, well, maybe now's a great time. And then it became clear that a lot of people were saving up their nerd money for something. <laughs> and now that they don't have conventions, they were happy to throw it at something. So uh, it ended up working out pretty well during this strange time. And I'm pretty sure you had the same reaction with your book, right? Yeah. No, I uh, I, I have been super lucky in terms of uh, uh, when I chose to run my Kickstarter because uh, it's... It's filled the void this year in a way where if I didn't have it, I probably would be in a pretty bad place. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, that's that's great. Um, but yeah, uh, today we're going to talk about two episodes of Batman the Animated Series. As always, we're going to be talking about the terrible trio and Harlequinade, and uh, we'll take a quick break, and we'll be back with the terrible trio. The Terrible Trio, story by Alan Burnett and Michael Reeves, teleplay by Michael Reeves, directed by Frank Power. And in this one, three wealthy, bored friends of Bruce Wayne decide to seek new thrills by becoming master criminals. As the fox, the shark, and the vulture, masters of land, sea, and air, the Terrible Trio pick Gotham clean until they encounter one person who cannot be bought off, Batman. Uh, I should probably say at the start here that uh, according to IMDb trivia, Bruce Timm considers this to be the worst episode of the entire <laughs> DC animated universe. Good. Uh, I'm not alone on this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I I don't know. I I I don't I don't know if I'd say it was that bad, but it's uh, mm-hmm. it's definitely not really anything to write home about. Yeah, I uh, I haven't actually seen this one for years because I always skip it because I think oh the one with the three frat boys in mm. those uh, co- Halloween costumes doing stupid shit like I yeah really I mean this whole thing seems so below Batman oh hundred percent yes well yeah, it's funny was my... I was, Go ahead. I, I was gonna say it's funny because my thought through the whole episode is why isn't this a Robin episode. Because yeah. the setup of it is these three frat boys who are pulling crimes. Robin is a college-age kid. He's in the episode at the beginning. I assumed that's yeah. what it was going to be. It was going to be a setup of, oh, Robin is is investigating these three guys who are pulling crime. This is like an episode of uh, – uh, this is like a low-grade episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer or something where it's like <laughs> three guys from high school are pulling uh, crime, magic-based crimes. So now Buffy has to take a couple minutes out of her day to figure out what the hell they're doing. That's a good point. It, it should be a Robin episode. I was As I was watching – I was immediately thinking, all right, I'm going to give this a one or a two. And then I started thinking, how can I fix this? Like, what would mm. I do to keep this and make it more interesting? And uh, I didn't think about Robin, but that's pretty good. My fix would be, um, so the girlfriend character, who they turn on and decide to murder uh, at the end of it. Very, very abruptly. <laughs> they, <laughs> they escalate from uh, low-grade larceny to murder very quickly. <laughs> I know. As they're pushing her off the cliff, his friends are like, Gee, gee, are you sure this is a good idea? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, man, this car is heavy. Um, but yeah, I would have had her make make Bruce Wayne more connected to her. And she's like this frat girl party type who's a rich daughter of a friend of his. And she's starting to get up mixed up in the wrong crowd. And have it be a story of Batman trying to save her from making a bad decision and getting involved with these three idiots, basically. Sure. Um, maybe raising the stakes by you know focusing more on the relationship that Batman has with her father or her as a daughter or something like that. That's that's all I could come up with. But I think Robin's actually better. Yeah, I think that would that would work. I think because uh, you've got um, if if Batman kind of if Bruce kind of views her as uh, uh, going down the wrong path of of, yeah. of this fictional universe where there are um, uh, billionaires who aren't kind of shitty people generally, but yeah. Um, <laughs> 
he has and he has some sort of uh, uh, surrogate father role to her in some sense that maybe he t- yeah. yeah that kind of thing I think that could work yeah yeah uh, but even still even still that's pretty that's pretty low on Batman's scale of shit True. he's got to well, deal with he would yeah. be doing it because he cares right he's taking an interest right. in someone around him not because it's I mean realistically as soon as they get some he gets some clues he should just give them the Gordon and be like all right do you have anything like important for me to do while I'm dressed yeah. up not to mention the fact that. Uh, they put up way too good a fight. These are three uh, dumbasses in masks <laughs> with no super criminal. Like honestly, the 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 write up from Wikipedia gives these characters way too much credit because yeah. they are not uh, they they're not master criminals. They're three doofuses from college, rich kids right. who are uh, deciding to <laughs> just start robbing people they know. Even it's not even yeah. like you know. I don't know. It's it, it. There's nothing. There's no reason why any of these three should be able to yeah. hold their own in a fight with Batman. Batman should take these guys down very, very quickly. And why are they wearing those stupid masks? What does that really get you? Yeah, nothing. That was actually the uh, the thing that I was going to draw. If we want to jump to there, because I don't know how much how much we're going to have to talk about for this episode. Um, I was torn between Batman in the snowy forest, which was a cool image. Yep, that was um, my idea too. My other one would be redesigning those masks because those masks are really stupid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could see that. Um, I was thinking actually, if you were going to rewrite this story in the White Knight universe, mm-hmm. and I gave it to you, what I would suggest is these three frat boys rob the outfitter. Sure. So they have a bunch of these like crazy gizmos that he's invented, but they stole them. So they're basically using really high tech tools to pull off things that's sort of above and beyond them so they're able to give batman a decent run for his money but they still don't really know what they're doing right right yeah that would be fun yeah um you know i was actually (laughs) thinking about that uh that this i think with a few tweaks this actually probably could sit pretty well in in the white knight universe as far as you have the uh, white collar crime angle going on there was even a moment where i i uh i'm probably giving the episode too much credit and it was just doing this to do this but i i thought that i saw a hint of social commentary in the car chase where um they take a turn really wide and smash into a light post and then batman also takes the same turn and smashes into the same light post i thought that was i i my my brain immediately was like oh are they trying to say that that batman is causing just as much damage to the city as these three idiots so what is this is this a much deeper episode than i think and i don't think that's the case no it's yeah I mean, a broken clock is right twice a day. That's, right. That's the expression. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, there was another thing in this. Uh, Animation-wise, I didn't find this super oh, engaging. It was hot garbage. It yeah. was awful. There was, did you notice the scene with uh, the girl's father in the hospital? For some, for some reason, I've never seen them do this before. They, were, they drew him in his uh, hospital bed as part of the background matte painting. And not oh, right. as an animated character. So you knew he wasn't going to move. Right. You can always tell, you know? Right. It was just an odd choice. I've never seen them do that on this show before. I have. Um, they even do it in the opening credits with Batman's face. Um, they've done it with Killer Croc, I think, once or twice. With Two-Face, maybe. If you want a real nice still image and you don't need the character to move, then, uh, yeah, I've seen them take the matte painting direction they, a few times. They usually do it on, like, a close-up. Like, yeah. But this one was like just a shot of him lying in bed, like a like a medium shot with other things moving around him. So it was huh. weird that you had your animated drawing characters sitting yeah. on the bed, but the person in the bed was like this airbrushed background painting character. Yeah. It was it was very odd. And you know, drawing something with an airbrush is not easy. You right. got to make a bunch of cutouts and stuff. So you think it would be easier for them to animate it. Even if they don't actually have to animate it, right. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Just draw a couple lines and throw some paint on it. You're yeah. good to go. But as a kid, it used to bug me when you're watching um, uh, Wiley Coyote cartoons, and you can see him standing on a cliff, and you can see the rocks that he's standing on are animated on cells, mm-hmm. and they look different, and you mm-hmm. know they're about to give away. <laughs> yeah, it all, it's it's all, it's like telegraphing the joke. I always thought it yeah. was it's like oh well, there's no magic there because you know exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> Um, there was a couple things that I, I did like in this though. Uh, there's that one shot of when they're towards the end, when they're on the, uh, they come up to that ledge. Oh, it's after they push Mm -hmm. the car off the ledge. Um, and then the bat wing just raises up in front of them. 
I thought yeah. that was kind of cool. It reminded me of that shot from the um, Rogue One trailer with the uh, uh, the Tie Fighter rising up in front of in front of Jane Erso or whatever her name is. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. And uh, what, do you, uh, what do you think about Bruce using a gun, even for leisure? Um, that doesn't super bother me. Uh, yeah. It's I can see why it might bother some people, but it, I honestly didn't even think about it. Yeah, I feel like if you're going to be consistent, it'd be better off if he was standing around drinking champagne, and they were shooting. Sure, and he was kind of wary to come over, and they're like, "Hey, come on, why don't you do these?" Like, no, I don't. That's not my thing, or whatever. And then it puts him at odds with these typical rich pricks so that you get into the rest of the story. He's still at odds with them. Right. Yeah. No, that's that makes total sense. Yeah. yeah I think it. Uh, yeah, it's this is a weird episode because I feel feel like there's so much there that they could have gotten into as far as. Yeah. Uh, the high society element of it. Uh, white collar crime stuff. I was even thinking at the end, um, the more cynical take on the ending would probably be. Uh, they don't get arrested. They actually end up going free because yeah. they are white collar criminals, right? Instead of yeah, this, you could do that. instead of this, instead of really about weird... to get raped by this guy. Yeah, <laughs> it was some interesting uh, implications going on at the end. Very abrupt. Very abrupt ending. Yeah, I wonder how an episode gets out of hand. You know, mm. and we're obviously not in these meetings, but I'd love to take a time machine and go back and figure out how these things happen. You know, you have a script, you're like, eh, it's not great, but maybe it'll get fixed in animation. It slips through the system somehow. You get the animation back, you're like, ugh, all right, whatever. I'm glad we didn't hire the expensive guys. Because they clearly knew that the script wasn't great, so they didn't spend a lot of money on animation in this episode. This you know? this apparently is the only episode animated entirely by Jade Animation in Hong Kong. They had previously First provided... And last. Yeah, well, they had provided ink and paint and assistant animation on... Uh, two episodes by a different company but this is the only yeah. one that they've did entirely and i yeah i guess huh. it's probably the first and last as you said yeah i wonder if uh when you make that phone call and you're like yeah listen guys i really appreciate you helping us out on those other two episodes but you guys handling it all yourself is just terrible <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you did get the pizza eating correct we will say that yeah <laughs> yes uh yeah have you guys have like a backup plan <laughs> or anything what's your what yeah. what do, what college degrees do you guys have is it something you can use <laughs> yeah it's the animation's not amazing uh yeah i don't know it's not a ton to talk about given what they give you because yeah it's it seems like there's there's an interesting story in there somewhere uh <laughs> they just i don't even know if i would go that far honestly there's, yeah you're trying to polish a turd here yeah well, I, I'm trying to. I'm just. I'm trying to pad time so we don't come in super under under time on this. One. But uh, <laughs> well, what I would like to draw. Yes, uh, there we go. I I do like the snow stuff because you don't get a lot of that in Batman. Um, but I'm gonna go for the snowmobile chasing because mm. uh, that's one machine I've never drawn, and uh, doing a snowmobile chase would be pretty cool. And uh, I think I have a few um, chase scenes and plot holes. I think maybe I'm gonna make one into a. Uh, snow snowmobile you know oh nice yeah that's fun yeah because you every time you hit a turn and stuff you can spray snow up and all that kind of stuff yeah, yeah. it's like drawing uh, a jet ski but you don't have to render the water you just creatively make it white and make the trees in the water slash snow you make them really dark you know what i mean right yeah yeah um, have you uh do you have a way of rendering snow yet that's i know that's always like a texture that artists can struggle with uh you know i don't think i've ever actually drawn it before uh, none of the, at least not professionally anyway, I, I uh, I've done yeah. a few pinups with falling snow, but I've never, I don't mm-hmm. think I've ever done something where it's like characters walking yeah. through snow or anything like that. Yeah. That's, that's, it's kind of, kind of tough because yeah. you can, um, you can have it start looking like rocks very easily if you kind of overdo it. Yeah, especially in a black and white comic. When right. They're colored and they come in with the blue and the white, then, you know, it's pretty easy. But um, I was always impressed by how Bill Watterson did it. Mm, um, yeah. Even though they were really cartoony, it just felt realistic. Like his snowy backgrounds look more real than a photograph sometimes. It's mm. insane. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I was like uh, Zafino's snow as well. The way he yeah. handles it in Winter World is, is, is really nice. Yeah. 
I have a Winter World page hanging up, and he actually like cross hatches and renders snow, and somehow it works. Yeah, and that's I would tough. never do that. Yeah, like, I'll just leave it white. Yeah, snow's one of those things where I feel like I'd need to like do some tests or something because if I <laughs> yeah. if I just jumped into that on the page, I think I'd get really gun shy about it. Yeah, yeah. It's like before I draw water, I'll do a quick review of like, all right, what are my water techniques? Okay, yeah, I remember what I used to do. And uh, snow is another one of those curveballs that you just don't hit very often. Yeah, I did this um, in in Bloody Hell, the the book I'm working on right now. There's a, there's a scene where these Viking ships are sort of floating down this really foggy, glassy river, and yeah. uh, I kind of I kind of went a little bit more graphic than I usually do to try and um, make it a little bit more abstract, so I'm not just render it because i didn't i didn't want to over render all of this water and ships and stuff because i wanted it to be really ghostly and um the i i ended up using a lot of uh uh white gouache to kind of push things back so i would draw the ship in and then i would get out a uh, a makeup remover sponge and just sort of use that as uh, to to push back the line work a bit and um the colorist man did a fantastic job that he really made everything separate really nicely and pushed it back. So it's, it's interesting because this, uh, this is Russ coloring. Yes. Yeah. His boyfriend. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. He's great. He's uh he's doing a killer job on the book. I can't wait for people to see it. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's tough because when you get into that stuff where it's like more white than black, it seems like it should be easy, but it's actually harder in some cases. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Um, it's funny. All, so you use uh, gouache to, push things back i'll actually use a uh, whiteout and use white fingerprints sure the reverse of what i usually do sure and uh it's hit and miss sometimes it's really hard to use the paint because it dries so quickly you usually get like one clear fingerprint out of it before it's just right fudge. yeah uh, whereas ink you usually get like four or five dabs before it's it's dry um or splatter you know, splatter is a good way to knock things back it, even if mm-hmm. you don't have any uh rain or snow if you've got distant buildings in the background of a dark city Hitting the more distant buildings with splatter will create atmosphere. You know, right. you just it doesn't read as snow or rain. It's just like dust and particles or whatever. And then the buildings that are closest to the camera don't hit that with splatter because that should feel closer. If that makes sense. Yeah, that's uh, what I, w- I was trying to. I was going in with the uh, uh, the white gouache and some of the way I would carve out some of my the rocks and stuff that I was doing yeah. is I would. Just, I was essentially doing like a, an airbrush technique where I would take a piece of paper and kind of rip it in a jagged fashion, and then I would just stipple it on top of that, essentially making a stencil. So it would push yeah. it would push it back a little bit and give you a little bit more uh, uh, atmospheric perspective on it. Right. Yeah. Nice. Um, do you want to get into rating and get into the good episode? Yeah. Let's do that. <laughs> uh, yeah. What, what would you rate this one? Um, I'm going to side with Bruce Tim on this and say a, a one. Yeah, man, that's, I, that's, I think that's the first one. If you have to have a one at some point, yeah. this is a really good candidate. Yeah, I, I, uh, I feel like I don't dislike it that much because I, again, I feel like there's potential with this story because, because of the elements yeah. that are going on, but it's just, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's too, it's 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 not subtle enough let's put it that way like there's yeah. there's a lot of stuff going on but all of it is just swings so drastically right. in either direction like the 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 uh the bad guys are go from jewel thieves to murderers incredibly quickly it actually mm-hmm. you know this reminds me you ever see the the dirty harry movie uh enforcer the enforcer no i haven't it's a pretty good one it's uh mm-hmm. uh there's a i think three or four police officers spoilers for the enforcer uh three or four police officers who are young guys right out of the uh, out of uh the academy who are all motorcycles um highway cops and they've been taking the law into their own hands and have just been riding up on people pulling them over and killing them and shooting them in their cars Mm -hmm. and so dirty harry ends up on the case for these guys and when he finds out they're cops they have this sort of um um not meeting of the minds, but they encounter each other and they kind of are saying like, I mean, why do you, why are you against what we're doing? We're just doing what you're doing. And he's like, no, that's not what I'm doing. You guys are just completely throwing the law out the window. Whereas I might bend the rules a little bit. You guys are actively breaking them. And so it's sort of like a, 
younger, more intense version of him or what he might be if he keeps pushing things kind of some uh-huh. story. And I think you could get that out of this if you if you play it either either lean into Bruce Wayne and the money thing more or even even Dick Grayson where it's you've got these rich younger dudes who uh is are peers of Dick Grayson and Dick Grayson is sort of like a, a he is also a rich younger dude and they're yeah. trying to loop him in and you know like something like that I think there's a lot of potential there to tell kind of a cool story but yeah um they don't. <laughs> yeah, or like maybe Batman lets him take this one alone, and he's gonna see if Robin can handle it. And um, so you see Batman peripherally, peripherally in the episode, uh, but it's more about Robin proving himself, being on his own. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's so weird that he's not in this episode because he's at the beginning of it. <laughs> it's part of. Uh, I, I don't know if the one you watched had it, but mine had the uh, the new Batman and Robin Adventures intro. Yeah, mine did not. And uh, so it's obviously it's part of that push to focus a little bit more on Robin. He shows up for the first five minutes, almost gets himself killed, and then he only shows up on video screens for the rest of the episode. It's just a really odd choice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, how did I, he hurt his? How did he hurt his arm in the beginning? I think it must have been during the explosion on the dock. Okay. Oh, that was the other thing. <laughs> When, when they're running on the dock and they've got the dynamite on the dock and Batman says, no, don't. I think one of the guys in the masks goes, he can smell it. <laughs> I, uh, I, Assuming, I guess, that Batman can smell dynamite? Or maybe he just had an instinct for it. I'd believe that, too. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I don't know. It's, I, yeah, I, I mean, think. I mean, uh, the, the grappling gun that the kids use is pretty uh, high-tech looking. It like shoots against yeah. the window. It braces itself. Mm-hmm. It has like a sec- middle piece that's shaped like a hawk or mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. Um, There's no reason why they yep, would have I'd, that stuff. <laughs> I don't know. That's why it, it, it would make sense if they robbed the brand manager. <laughs> yeah, or maybe uh, maybe the maybe one of their fathers owns the building the brand manager operates out of or something. <laughs> you know, with White Knight, it always comes back to real estate one way or another. Yeah, man. <laughs> yep. You know that's you know that's how Arnold Schwarzenegger managed to uh, sculpt his career in Hollywood. Is that by, before he became an actor, he already was. I don't know if he was a millionaire, but he he was already very financially stable because of uh, real estate in L.A. or in. Uh, I'm not Austria. I, I don't a hundred percent remember, but basically yeah. he had enough money and was uh, uh, secure enough that when he went to Hollywood and started acting, he could yeah. kind of pick and choose what he wanted to do and, right. and sculpt his, his career a little bit more because he wasn't yeah. uh, uh, relying on it as his first <laughs> source of income. Right. You know, it's funny. I'm never sure how to feel about Arnold because... There's so much I respect about him, mm-hmm. but having a secret child with a maid for 18 years and lying to your wife mm-hmm. is not a good look. No, not a great, not not great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then there's footage of him, or there was a guy who was um, about 15, 20 years ago. He was drowning off a beach in Hawaii or something, and Arnold swam out and saved his life. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then you, but then fast forward or rewind to the mind games that he played with Lou Ferrigno, mm-hmm. <laughs> doing weed and getting drunk and lifting weights. Yeah. It's, um, it's turning Lou's dad against him in the back of the bus. I mean, it's almost. I, I'm not so sure. It's almost <laughs> as though uh, people are aren't one dimensional and have many facets <laughs> to their personality. Hey, don't tell Twitter, man. It's got to be black and white. <laughs> yeah, no, he's an interesting guy. Uh, clearly not all good. Clearly not all bad. Um, yeah. Who do you think is more of uh, a good guy in real life, him or Stallone? Ooh. Uh, I honestly, I mean, I don't know because I honestly don't know that much about Stallone. Like, I've I've never heard that many really salacious stories about Stallone. Yeah. Whereas Arnold has a couple, and he also was a governor where people weren't were uh, split on his his decisions there. But yeah, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't really know of any. I mean, I know Stallone had some ex wives, and there's some stories that happened, but I think it's um consenting adults for the mm-hmm, most part mm-hmm. i think there was one accusation but i don't think it went anywhere 
Yeah, um, I remember that. It kind of just disappeared, whether, you know, yeah. who knows and, uh, how it's, or why. It's usually when you have one, there's usually a bunch hit the fan after that, mm-hmm. which is more of a, a pattern of behavior. But, hey, maybe he did. I don't know. But uh, there was never anything more than that one weird accusation. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I guess I don't really... He's not as... Oddly enough, he's not as public with his yeah. life as, as Arnold has been. Yeah. I mean, I think Stallone kind of took... It felt like a 10-year break from movies for a while. Like in the early 90s, he did uh, that race car movie. <laughs> I think, and he didn't even want to be on the poster for I think it. Pe- I think he was making them. I don't know if people were watching them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I remember really liking Daylight. And then we had... Um, after that, I feel like he kind of disappeared for a while. Because that was after Copland, mm-hmm. which I really liked as well. Mm-hmm. Um then the the race car movie called like Driven, which he didn't even want his pa- face on. He popped up in uh, Spy Kids, right? Yeah, only he as was a favor. Yeah, he was the bad. He was guy. kind of off the grid, like by choice for a while. Whereas Arnold never really disappeared; he just became governor. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. Of the three uh, Planet Hollywood guys, it's like I I know from <laughs> I I can surmise from stories that I've heard over the years. Bruce Willis, kind of a shithead. Uh, yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger, clearly interesting personality with with you know many yep. things going on i don't think i could tell you anything about stallone right you know i had an idea once for a script called uh planet hollywood's revenge <laughs> and it would basically be arnold stallone and willis playing themselves but it's a fictional story about them getting kidnapped or something mm-hmm. having to do with their restaurant chain and uh they managed to create it's an action movie because they're trained well enough in like you got to imagine stallone's a pretty decent boxer you got to imagine that Arnold <laughs> knows how to he duck is and anyway. roll. When he's, yeah, <laughs> that's fair. And every but, he uh, thinks he is. Give them some low-level bad guys to take down, and uh, it could be like a dad revenge movie at this point. Yeah, that would be kind of fun. I I say he <laughs> thinks he is because I feel like every Rocky movie, there's some story about Stallone being like, "Let's actually hit each other," and then he actually he gets the shit beat out of him. So. Wait, only do it when someone's here, though, when the camera right, is rolling. Right, yeah. Well, hey, I mean, keep that in your back pocket. You could do, run that as your next crowdfunding thing. I don't know. I mean, why not? I mean, Stallone is all about reviving. I mean, he wants to revive Cobra and Tango and Cash now, which I'm all for. Yeah. He also, uh, the one thing that I do know about Stallone is that he goes from great ideas to terrible ideas. <laughs> you said it really well, where you're like... Stallone thinks he's funny. He really thinks that he can make a joke, but he always has that wink to the camera yeah. thing. That he, he needs to let you know that he knows he's kidding, yep. which I think you're absolutely right about. But then you said that he's really good at being vulnerable, which kind of uh, surprised me. But if you think about it, especially Rambo, Rambo does have this like quiet vulnerability to himself that really makes the character work. Mm. And Stallone is really good at that. I mean, even when Stallone is bad, I still find him very watchable because there's just something about the guy. Oh, sure. You know? Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's really interesting if you think about those two things together where he's very good at being vulnerable, but yeah. he need, he this sort of winking at the camera thing feels like it's an insecurity. And, yeah. and so he's not willing <laughs> to appear vulnerable. He has to, yeah. it's a, it's an interesting dichotomy. Yeah. Did you like Oscar? that movie i hate i watched i so when i get sick when i get like bad like badly (laughs) sick i like to take that opportunity to watch movies that i know i'm not gonna like that i would never (laughs) spend time watching because usually they go down easier and two new years ago i got this horrible stomach flu that lasted like two weeks and so the two movies like that i chose to watch were the tom cruise mummy which i couldn't finish because I, I fast-forwarded through about 90% of it, and I just couldn't do it. Yeah. And the other one, I, I, I swear to God I gave it a shot, was Oscar, and I could <laughs> not stand it. I don't get why people hate that movie. I love that movie. <laughs> and you and I usually line up you on know, most of our opinions. So I like I said, I mean, people, think of it as a two-act play. <laughs> people are many-faceted, Sean, and sometimes, sometimes views don't align. <laughs> You know, the part of you I like is the Arnold Schwarzenegger part, where you're really good at bodybuilding, creating characters like the Outfitter, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But then there's a the part of you that has a uh, an affair with your nanny. That's the part of you that doesn't like Oscar. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. I'll own up to that, <laughs> to, sure. To, to try to tie a very complicated knot, <laughs> to bring it all back in circle here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Speaking of bringing it all back, uh, clearly... <laughs> 
we've run off the trails on this Batman podcast <laughs> we're talking about. I think it's more fun talking about Stallone's Schwarzenegger than this episode. Now, I, I would agree with you. I, I, there's not a lot to go on here. What if the three guys in this were Schwarzenegger, <laughs> Stallone, and Bruce Willis? Was that make, would that make it better? I bet it would be Bruce Willis who would decide we need to drive her off a cliff. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that the uh, the main guy is actually um, voiced by Bill Mummy, who is the uh, kid from the original Lost in Space. Huh. And he has I been on. Uh, I think he was on Star Trek a few times. He was on Deep Space Nine. I think uh, was it Deep Space Nine? I th- was he Deep? No, I think it was Enterprise. I think it was Enterprise. He was on. Or maybe he was yeah, on all okay. of them. Everybody who was on Star Trek was on every Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, they do have a, a really uh, convenient revolving door on Star Trek. Yeah. Except when it comes to movies, then they kind of just change everything around. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I, I guess I got to go one as well. Like, I, I didn't dislike it yeah. quite as much as you, I don't think, but I, this is probably, yeah. yeah, the worst one we've seen straight up. It's. I mean, I agree with you. It's not irredeemable um it's not so if three is average then i think fairly it's fair to say that it's a two Mm. but even when these episodes are bad they're never really a one because there's still there's still stuff in there that's always worth looking at and maybe that's sort of just the nature of this show is there are no ones yeah except maybe for this one yeah well it's funny too because like this has all the hallmarks generally of an episode that i would not like where it's it's off-brand bad guys that you're never going to see again. The most off-brand because it's just three idiots and stupid masks. Yeah. But I think the thing that that I found interesting was the potential. But you know that's that doesn't really count if they don't do it. So yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So uh, I think that's going to be a couple ones from us. Our our very I think first the, one. The, the part of you that likes to offer counterpoint to popular opinions. The part that like takes a slow drink drink of his beer and then like drops down some theory on the rest of the table that no one thought of like when you start to say that uh, almost got him is actually not a five like that version of clay i can see that <laughs> kicking in a little bit here well actually guys no i mean i'm looking at it i'm looking at it from a concept standpoint and i think there's a good concept in there i don't think they did anything with it unfortunately and i'm not going to go to bat for it but it's yeah i think they i'm just giving you shit man yeah I'm i understand yeah <laughs> I'm just trying to make good radio, okay? <laughs> okay. That's going to that's gonna do it for the terrible trio. Uh, when we come back, Sean will be doing this show by himself because I have this, quit. This actually, the original title for this was The Trio, but then when they saw how bad it was, they changed it to The Terrible Trio. Yeah, the, and the, the, other, the other title was going to be This Episode Sucks Three Ways. Um, all right, we'll take a quick break and we'll be back with Harlequinade. Alrighty, Harlequinade, Harlequinade, whatever. Uh, I say it Harlequinade. Yeah, it makes but sense. I don't know. I'm De- just a writer. Delicious either way. Uh, <laughs> written by Paul Dini, directed by Kevin Altieri, and in this one, the Joker steals an atomic bomb, and it is up to Batman and Robin to find and stop him. Since there is no time to spare, the duo enlists the help of Harley Quinn to track Joker down. Throughout the episode, it is briefly discussed how Harley met Joker. You know. I don't know if you saw that movie that came out a couple years ago, the um, <clears throat> Batman and Harley Quinn movie that was terrible. Yes, where she's farting in the backseat. Yeah, and she sleeps yeah. with Nightwing, and there's this really yep. weird... Oh, yeah. No, she full-on rapes Nightwing, if you really want to look at it fairly. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's something. And then there's that scene where they go to the, the bar full of sidekicks, and it's like a 10-minute music sequence where... The two, yeah. the two twin characters, mind blowing each other. It's real. It's, it's a really weird, not great movie. Yeah. Storyline not entirely dissimilar to this though. <clears throat> Written by Bruce Tim, I believe. Yeah. Well, Paul Dini did it better. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I um, as I was saying to you before we started recording, is um, for for me the references for Harley Quinn from this uh series. There's only like three or four episodes, and it really gives you everything you need to know about Harley. Um, and for me, this is a huge one, because I think this illustrates her sort of relationship with Batman. He is willing to kind of trust her a little bit. Um, 
she's active in the plot and that she's actually the one that takes down Joker and when her dogs are threatened and when she starts naming all the villains that they're yes, leaving behind and getting the their names part, wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Hat guy, puppet head, <laughs> lizard man. <laughs> I think this really shows the best of Harley and uh, even the twist end where it seems like she's ready to kill Joker and uh, the gun that she's holding up to him only has a, a bang flag inside of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, they kind of leave it open t- as to whether or not she knew that it had that inside of it or she actually thought she was going to kill him. Right, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I really like this one. I was I was on the fence when it started, um, but I think uh, up until, up through the uh, uh, the musical sequence, I was a little on the fence because this, it felt, I don't know if I was just getting flashbacks to that movie, but I was kind of feeling like, <laughs> I don't know, this is... Just seems like an excuse to do stuff with Harley Quinn, but I, I I actually really like the story, and I think the end of it is is really really fun. Yeah, yeah. They uh, I'm not big on musical numbers in superhero movies usually, and I'm looking at you, Spider Man Three. <laughs> um, but uh, this one, I thought it was it worked because it's it's admitting that it's goofy, it's kind of stupid, and she's sort of being over the top just to distract all these henchmen so the Batman and Robin can get right, you know. Right, and she's so not. To me it worked out for that reason. And she's not being. Uh, it's not like a Jessica Rabbit sequence. She's right. she's acting. It's like she's acting sexy, but it's over the top and stupid. You know what I mean? It's not. Yeah, it's not like ooh, sexy. Let's let's let have Harley Quinn shake her hips for two minutes here. Yeah, no, she just isn't that character. Honestly, she doesn't right. seduce people like that. That's that's poison ivy. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Harley's the girl who looks cute and she tries to dance front in front of you but then accidentally trips and falls in your lap and smiles. Yes. That's Harley. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, I thought, you know, this was seems this feels like it's the first episode where you really get a lot of her and uh, yeah. I think it goes a long way. This episode went a long way to cementing yeah. what uh, her thing is and how she's characterized. And I, I feel like with any character who is this kind of over the top, mm-hmm. I feel like subsequent <clears throat> versions of her, even even vo- voiced by the same... Well, I guess eventually it was Tara Strong. I don't know where Tara, Tara Strong takes over, but um, I feel like her, the Harley Quinn thing gets turned up higher and higher as, as time goes on. Yeah, and this was a nice version of her where she's still over the top. She's still got that accent, but it's not it's not so ridiculous that it's yeah. kind of tiring. <laughs> yeah, there's like I I've always thought of Harley as more of a Betty Boop type of humor. Sure, sure. And the new cheerleader Harley is not that. And I'm not saying I don't like it. It's just not my version. Um, yeah, it's funny because I just watched uh, Birds of Prey for the first time this morning. Oh, nice. Um, and sort of doing the math on like, okay, this is how they handled it. This is why it works. And this is why some of it, for me, didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's, for me, like how much, how redeemable is she is based on how, it, it, does she actually murder? Like how sure. innocent is she in Joker's crimes? Sure. Um, if she's literally shooting people in the head, then it's kind of hard for her to be a forgivable Betty Boop. If she's somewhat innocent and in a kid's show, it's easy to do because you don't really show Joker killing anybody. Um, Even at the end of this one, when she pulls a trigger, it's just a bang flag. So I think that's what makes this work. And the comics and uh, Arkham Asylum games were making her so dark, or rather the Joker so dark, Mm. that they just had to um, darken her up a bit. Like you had Joker literally running around the comics wearing someone's face over his own face. Right. Yes. <laughs> you really can't do that with Betty Boop Harley Quinn next to him anymore. Right, you kind of right. have to make her more sadistic, which is where, you know, the Arkham Asylum version comes from, which I totally get, you know. Yeah, definitely. And I, I actually think the, the one, the version they've been doing in the movies is, is, an, is fairly successful. Where, because yeah. uh, I mean, it's. I think Margot Robbie, Robbie is is a big part of that because I think uh, yeah. her performance is, is very you're on her side very quickly. Yeah, yeah, she's an amazing actress. Uh, I liked Birds of Prey a lot more than I liked. Um, oh, Suicide definitely. Squad. Yes, yeah. I um, thought the action I, I was think, fantastic. Yeah, she's insane. I mean, doing going like laughing and crying at the same time with her eyes all watery. Yeah. I mean, that cannot be easy to do. Um, 
I do wish that they united the Birds of Prey sooner in the movie than waiting until the like the whole movie is a build up for sure. them to team up right sure. at the third act. I kind of wish they had teamed up at the be- at the end of the first act, but we can talk about that later when we review that movie. Right? Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, but this one. Um yeah, I, I I like a lot of the stuff they're doing with her. I like all the the gags and the Batmobile is fun, and her just being she's she's a pest uh, more than she's um, uh, antagonistic, you know. Uh, yeah. But but you still have that thing. I they they really walk the line pretty well over whether or not she's gonna um, turn mm-hmm. on Batman. And did we review? Sorry, no. Go, go ahead. ahead. Finish. I'm, I'm done. Did did we review um, Harley's Holiday yet? No, I believe that is season four. Okay, that's the one where she and Ivy go shopping. I think. It's Clay. No, so that that's a different one. That's um, oh, I uh, some other holiday. No, she's with Veronica Vreeland in this one. Uh, she's they think she steals a dress at the beginning, and um, oh, we have not Batman. We have not done that one yet. That's that that's so okay. A, uh, a couple, few weeks. Okay. Because I was going to ask you which one you think defines Harley better, but we can get to that later. Mm, yeah, I, I don't remember that one, actually. So, yeah, that'll be an interesting one to talk about. Yeah. Um, what did you think about um, when they find that Joker has stolen an atomic bomb mm-hmm. is going to blow up the city? Do you think they should have started evacuating or what? <laughs> I think the atomic bomb thing is just so... <laughs> <laughs> silly and over the top my favorite part of this episode is when uh well my favorite part of the episode is is the joker in the plane sequence that was amazing um mm, yeah but my my runner-up is when they finally go to defuse the bomb batman just pulls the side off of it and very confidently snips two wires instead of <laughs> any other any other thing in the history of bombs on on screen involves them having some reticence about which wires to cut Right. how much time is left nope he just pulls the side off and just cuts those yeah. things no problem so uh i do have a question about that thing do bombs really need timers on them do they really need a blinking red light do they really need multiple wires <laughs> do they really need um like what's the harm of cutting all the wires at once i don't get it and i know that the um the theory is that if you cut a wire and it's the wrong one it will short circuit and blow itself up or something. But like who started that? Because I feel like that's just been a trope we've all accepted, but I think we need a bomb expert to come in here and tell us. I would, I would (laughs) really like this character you're doing right now to be, have been in the hurt locker to have all these guys who are like, it's a man at any second you do the wrong thing. You could die. And then have the one guy who's like, have we tried it? Have we tried just cutting all the wires? What's the worst that could happen? Honestly, They've got a like a robot basically that can do it now. Why not just pull all of them at once? Yeah, why not hit all the buttons in the elevator? What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> but I mean, when you're designing these bombs, and you're like, okay, well, it's going to go off, but I think I should put a clock on it just because. <laughs> uh, I think it should have a blinking red light just mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. the cop that finds it knows that it's armed. And I think I should probably wire it with more than one wire just to confuse everybody. Yeah. And uh, if you cut the wrong wire, I think it should blow up. Like that's a lot of planning. That's, that shows that you're not actually that confident in your first plan. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> Which I mean, is blowing something up without cops finding the bomb. Bomb making is very difficult. So I've, so I've been told. I have no, so di- heard, I yeah. have no direct experience <laughs> anymore. But uh, yeah. yeah, well, you know, I mean, I think it's it also, it's it, narratively, it's Im- important if you're going to have a bomb to have some sort yeah. of representation of... Because of, obviously, if, if you're using a bomb as a narrative device... The thing yeah. you're trying to do is stop that from going off, right? So mm-hmm. you need as many re- <laughs> as many things to get in your way from that happening as possible. So it's like, oh, we found the right. bomb. Great. We should be able to disarm it. Oh, shit. Let's get 15,000 wires in it. We can only cut the right one wire. Okay, shit. Well, that's oh, the timer's going what? off. We got five seconds to do it. Oh, shit. So what made bombs complicated? Bomb makers in real life or writers who needed to make it a complicated narrative device? <clears throat> Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm. I would assume. I mean, if I were a bomb maker, I would probably <laughs> I would research cartoons. Yeah, first. I would research cartoons. <laughs> I would probably build into it fail safes and and things to make it complicated in case it did get found. I mean, right? Why not? You're already there. Yeah. You may as well commit to it. <laughs> I mean, it literally <laughs> takes 
two extra minutes to add a blue wire and 50-50 chance that the bomb's still going to go off when they try to when they try to disarm it. Yeah, yeah. It seems like a good investment of two minutes. Oh, definitely, yeah. <laughs> um, so you just, uh, it was just announced that um, you are working on uh, a Harley oh, yeah. Quinn White Knight spinoff with your wife, yeah. uh, Katana Collins. And uh, your Harley is, the White Knight Harley is a very different Harley than yeah. even in this, ep- even the the animated series Harley. Um, right. Yeah, I mean, I wrote her to have this past, but she's going straight now, kind of. So she can still be kind of crazy and kooky from time to time. Sure. But she, um, for her to work in my universe, she never killed anybody. She was confused and disturbed and broken. And um, she split with Joker when he was about to kill Jason Todd, mm-hmm. which we get into, I think, in issue uh, in issue one or two, I think. There's a flashback to that, that oh, night. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, but uh, I've been really dying to expand White Knight. Um, when I saw the numbers, I, I, Dan DiDio came up to me, who was the um, publisher at DC for a while, and he asked me if I'd be interested in like helming this idea, and I said, sure. Um, it's not necessarily something I saw myself doing, but I'm happy to try, and uh, if the publisher is happy to get behind it, and if I can help my friends get gigs or whatever, and make more royalties and help bolster um, the White Knight books, then yeah, let's try it. So it's kind of an experiment. I don't know if we'll do them forever. We have two of them greenlit right now, this being the first. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I uh, I thought, well, let's get my wife to write. I mean, DC's hiring a lot of women from YA and romance and all that kind of stuff. So my wife's had a career doing that as well for about 10 or 15 years. She's won a couple of Emmys for writing that she did back for uh, Nick News oh, no years kidding. and years ago. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, she's totally qualified. I mean, if you want to say nepotism, yeah, that too. But <laughs> <laughs> she's also legit qualified. Sure. And uh, it's nice because uh, she doesn't read a lot of comics, so it's it's kind of fun for me to teach her things that I thought were universally understood that aren't, like how to make a page turn work. Or um, I take writing action for granted. Mm. But if you're not an artist or if you're not visual, writing action is really hard. Like for her, it's super hard. Sure. So uh, she'll let Matteo do uh, the heavy lifting on that. And, of course, we're really lucky to have Matteo Scalera on the art. Um, and if you go online now and look at it, it looks like um, Don Bluth, who yeah. is this really great animator from back in the 80s who did, like, All Dogs Go to Heaven and all kinds of stuff, mm-hmm. Anastasia. And this looks like a Don Bluth Batman comic book. It's amazing. Yeah, I, I've seen some of the pages. They they are unbelievable. Uh. <laughs> yeah, dude, Mateo's killing me. And I, I keep I kept texting our group like, "How do you say good job, but also fuck you yeah. at the same time?" <laughs> the best thing he did was um, with the hyenas. He decided to draw them like just cartoon dogs with long necks, mm-hmm. and it works way better than what I did when I tried to render them like photorealistic hyenas. And hyenas, even when you render them correctly, they still look wrong because they're just such a weird-looking Sure, animal, sure, know? yeah. Um, I don't even think they're actually actually wolves or dogs. They're just like... I forget what their genus is, but it's something you wouldn't expect. Yeah, I've, um, I've never done that. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. So uh, when I saw Mateo's pages coming, I'm like, fuck, that's brilliant. Why didn't I think of that? I should have just made them like Don Bluth animated dogs and not try to make them photorealistic. So I'm kind of kicking myself, but... Hey, that's what's nice about hiring Mateo is he's like a fresh set of eyes. Yeah, no, he his uh, his take on everything has has is amazing. And uh, once uh, I thought the pages not not that I need to blow smoke up up this book's ass or anything, but yeah. once I saw uh, the black and white pages, I thought they were looking amazing. And then I saw the colored pages, and they look even better. Yeah, <clears throat> when usually yeah, we got Dave Stewart. Yeah, I Sorry. I, I I tend to lean towards black and white where I where yeah. I was like, oh, the colors look good, but. I prefer the black and white, but the colors have just completely transformed these pages. They look really, really cool. Yeah, it's so lush now. And uh, we got yeah. Dave Stewart on colors. He and I used to work together on um, Hellblazer and Joe the Barbarian, so it's nice to kind of be working with him again. Um, I told my wife, who's super worried about getting into comics, because she hears all the drama and all the stuff mm-hmm. on Twitter that I go through, and she's legit terrified. <laughs> and she, um, she was going to open up a Twitter account, but she decided not to. Uh, she's doing what I'm doing, basically. And uh, the thing that she keeps saying to me is, how does Fiona Staples do this? Meaning, stay off the grid completely right. and be a total mystery to most people. Because Fiona, to her credit, is like 
doesn't go to shows, doesn't do many interviews, doesn't really leave Canada much lately. Mm-hmm. Um, she's the artist on Saga, of course, for those of you who don't, who don't know. Mm-hmm. So I was actually thinking about calling Fiona, putting her on the phone with my wife and having Fiona explain <laughs> how to be a ghost <laughs> and have a career at the same time. <laughs> yeah, it, it might it might not be a bad lesson for a lot of us to learn, <clears throat> honestly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, as worried as Colleen is, um, I told her that the art is so amazing. Even if she does a shitty job, no one's going to notice. Right. <laughs> well, I'm sure. I'm sure it's going to be very good. So, she, I yeah. don't think she has anything to worry about. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to retain Matteo uh, for our next our next spinoff too. But uh, he's in really high demand, and he's got a lot of stuff he wants to do. So. Sure, sure. Yeah. But uh, no, he's he's one of the handful of artists where if you asked me who I'd want to change styles with, he would be one of them. Oh, honestly. really? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I'll I mean, he, I'll take either one of you guys. So, yeah. I mean, I, I see him using like uh, lens fisheye lens effects, so the yeah. background lines are curved. Um, he's so I, you can't use rulers. I mean, it's just yeah. insane how good he is. I'm looking at these pages, and he's doing like three point fisheye shots of like a room, and I'm over yeah. here thinking, how do I avoid drawing the couch in this room? You know, he's <laughs> yeah. he's doing this beautiful, lush layout of this apartment building. And I'm like, if I zoom in on the coffee maker, then I only have to draw like a quarter of the background. Yeah. What can I black out creatively that doesn't make me look lazy? Yes. Yeah. No one uses yeah. lights in this book. We don't need to show everything. <laughs> yeah. He also uh, doesn't use drop shadows on characters, which uh, oh, interesting. usually bothers me because colorists will come in and fix it. Whereas I always draw cast shadows from my characters, like everything always has a shadow underneath it, like a hand over a desk or a guy walking across the floor or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but he renders the background so well that you can have people standing on a white floor with no shadow and it works. Mm. So it's something I'm definitely going to have to steal from him. Yeah, that's interesting. Speaking of style choices, I have one huge problem with this episode. <laughs> okay. The part after the... Uh, the plane crashes into the door, into the building, yep. and Joker comes out and he falls face down and Harley comes over and pulls a gun on him. Both Harley and Joker are very clearly rendered as being lit by fire. <laughs> Batman and Robin then both swing into the same shot and they are not lit by fire and it made me insane. <laughs> You know, you have black black and white Batman statues. We need a line of lit by fire Batman. I, you know, I know a couple people who are, uh, who, who do some like figure painting and stuff like that. I already mm-hmm. have a Batman figure, uh, animated series figure, but I've been really eyeing that, that Mask of the Phantasm 2 pack. And I was, mm-hmm. I was like, if I get the Mask of the Phantasm 2 pack, I'm going to take that Batman figure and give it to one of my friends and, and pay them to paint it in fire lit colors. Right. Because it's my favorite thing from this show, and they don't <laughs> oh, do it no. anymore. <laughs> and the first time you saw that, I think, was the Grey Ghost episode. I think so. Maybe, yes. Yeah. yeah. It was pretty early. Yeah. yeah. But they were in the same shot. It was the same shot. It's like they hate you, Clay. I have no other... <laughs> yeah. I'm doing um, a statue right now of Batman on my Bat Cycle. Oh, cool. I don't know when it's going to come out, but... Uh, I have the exhaust flames on the back cycle right around his kneecaps, which I know is a dumb place for them, but (laughs) it's a a comic. Plus, he's wearing those really long hooker boots, which I assume are fireproof. Yeah, there you go. You're fine. (laughs) Um, And uh, I assume they're going to paint this thing. So one thing I could say to them is maybe make him fire lit because these valves are kind of going off near his face. Like he should be sort of orangey in color, right? Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, we'll see. I'll run it by them. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Never know. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, uh, what else? Oh, one more tidbit story, too, is um, I, I love the ending of this with the World War One plane. Mm. Uh, biplanes, to me, are like, they're, they're sort of hard and easy to draw at the same time because they're so simple. But if you get one thing wrong, it's very obvious. Sure. And uh, there was a, a Batman comic uh, years ago in the 90s that I loved, and they had a uh, Joker in a biplane thing. And uh, I won't say who the artist is, but... I remember really loving it. I saw him on a show, and I went up to him, and I was a huge fan. Um, I wasn't a professional at, this, at the time. I was just trying to get my foot in. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I brought that scene up to him, and I'm like, oh, man, it's so good. You drew the plane, blah, blah, blah. And he was politely giving me kind of a brush off, like, yeah, yeah, kid, here you go. And I was like, that must have been so fun. He's like, what do you mean? I go, I don't know, like rendering like uh, machines? Like, isn't that the best? And this is before <laughs> I realized that most artists hate drawing cars and planes and stuff. Right. And he looks at me, he's like, I go, it, wasn't it awesome rendering cars? He's like, you, write, you like rendering cars? And I go, well, yeah. And he, he stands up and in an angry voice goes, why? Wow. And he wasn't, wasn't being ironic that I could tell. <laughs> and uh, knowing what I know about him now, uh, he's kind of a curmudgeon and he gets stuck in his own head like we all do. And uh, he has his bad days. Imagine, <laughs> we'll just, imagine, we'll just say that. imagine being so angry at a person for liking to draw cars. <laughs> So I uh, like, went what? back to look at the comic, and I re- reread that scene. And sure enough, I noticed he hated drawing that plane because he did everything to crop it out of the shot whenever he could. Nice. Or it's like a really zoomed out, distant shot of the plane exactly from the side, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I actually drew a couple of those in um, Bloody Hell in this sort of like uh, uh, dream, for lack of a better term, dream sequence. It's just like a one page splash thing. Um, yeah. and, uh, it was fun. Cause it's like, I, I, I drew them angling up at them, which is if you get it at the right angle, they're pretty easy to kind of silhouette almost because as, yeah. as, as long as you get that body shape, right. And you kind of st- uh, stagger the wings, you get the idea mm-hmm. of what's going on. Uh, right. but the thing that threw me off was the wheels. I don't mm. know why, but the, the put it, putting the wheels in there, I just sort of like tossed them in and after I finished the page, I looked at it, and I was like, oh, I probably should have spent another 30 seconds on those wheels. <laughs> you know, honestly, the, the, what make or breaks a vehicle is the tires, the wheels, and if your ellipses are correct, mm-hmm. for me anyway. Yeah. Uh, if you cheap out on, if you are exhausted at the end of the day and you try to cheap out on tires, it just affects, I mean, your object literally isn't touching the ground in the correct way. Right. It's like having a character not looking like he's standing on the ground. It just feels off. Yeah, yeah. But I get why artists will crop it and try not to do it or trace photos because it's obviously a lot quicker. Yeah. The uh, I think the thing that always makes a big difference too is in, in you know, you, you don't need me to tell you this, but you're really great at the, uh, if a car is taking a turn, shifting the weight mm-hmm. of the of the body, uh, tipping right. it a little bit into the turn, that stuff, if you, can, <laughs> if you can nail that stuff, it goes a hell of a long way. It's so, uh, yeah, I mean, that's where uh, anime and manga are so good, mm. is uh, throwing a car so one suspension is pushed down the other side, the other wheels coming off the ground, maybe. Really making cars act like that is right. so tricky. Yeah. And then you got to deal with speed lines, and there are certain types of backgrounds you should set, set them in to make that action work more. Like, um, if you're having a car go down the road really fast, it's actually better to make it a highway with lines or guardrails, or some regular pattern in the distance that gets smaller, like train tracks. Sure. Um, if you draw a car in the woods going fast, it probably works. But if you're drawing it next to guardrails and you have that like shrinking train track effect, it feels like the car is going faster. Right. So like it's easier to draw cars doing that shit when you're having them like do Tokyo drift through the city as through the forest. Yeah, it's like in so a little uh, trick there. Like in <laughs> Mad Max where they made everything look so much faster by putting the camera on the ground. So all oh, yeah, the, totally. all the, the bikes and cars going by just seem like they're just monsters. Yeah. In any kind of car chase scene, <clears throat> in movies, comics, whatever, if especially in movies actually, if you don't have one shot of a camera right near the tire and you can see the body like coming down on the tire mm. and the suspension working, then you're not doing it right. right. And it kills me when they have like what would have been a good car chase scene, but they forgot the tire shot. Right, right, yes. They do it in Ronin really well. Yeah, I think that's oh, yeah. the first time I really noticed great, it. Great car and, scene. Uh, and uh, in that movie, they didn't even have uh, chase music. It was just the sound of the cars and the engines. That was the soundtrack. They didn't put any music over it until I think like the last scene. Oh, really? Oh, it's been a long time since I watched that. <laughs> I don't know how good that movie actually is, but I really do love it. Yeah, well, that, so I'm I not mean, going to bat for it. <laughs> that's that's every time the subject of movie car chases comes up, that's usually in like the top five. <laughs> yeah, that's our uh, that's like the French connection of our generation. Yeah, well, it's also it's uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it's similar to Bullet, where if you go back and you watch Bullet, you go, wow, that car chase was awesome. The rest of this movie is pretty boring, though. Yeah, Bullet is not great. I, I don't even think the car chase in it is that great. Yeah. Um, I watched uh, 
I remember seeing it right after I watched The Rock in the late oh, 90s. Yes. And the, the Rock car chase scene is pretty fucking good. Yeah. The Rock um, is pretty fucking good. <laughs> yeah, Full Joe, stop. Our friend Joe, who fucking hates that movie because the fonts are all weird. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> Many people have many facets to their personality. Some of them are terrible. We have a, let me throw Joe under the bus for a minute because he's not here right now to everybody listening. He's one of our best friends here. He's on our text threads and like, you know, Joe knows all our secrets. He knows where the bodies are buried. Um, he's a stickler for design, uh, clear lettering and font types. So when he saw The Rock, he was really upset because the fonts of the logo and the credits and whatever else did not line up at all. And he was losing his mind. Like, can you please just pick a fucking font? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. But his favorite movie, unironically, is Over the Top with Sylvester Stallone. Mm-hmm. And I can't figure out how you can give Over the Top a pass and totally shit on the rock. <laughs> and I'm glad he's not here to defend himself because fuck you, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> well, I look forward to him hearing this episode. He's <laughs> I know. So yeah, your next guest will be him. Yeah, surprise. Yeah, we're gonna talk. We'll we'll find the next terrible episode that we could just talk about <laughs> over the top with Joe for for an hour. Um, what would you uh, What would you draw on this one? Uh, uh, one of two things. I thought Joker in a bathing suit and a uh, float of of inflatable rubber ducky around his waist. Mm-hmm. Jumping into a pool with an atomic bomb behind him would be a pretty cool that's, cover. That's pretty good, yeah. Well, I, I actually I <laughs> noticed uh, when when he came out wearing the rubber ducky thing, I thought of that scene in uh, Curse of White Knight where he shows up to expose Batgirl. Isn't he wearing something like that around his waist? He's wearing um, gl- he has glasses on that make him look like Gordon. Yeah. He's got those funny glasses with a big nose and a mustache, and he puts it on, and he actually does look disturbingly like Gordon when he's wearing them. <laughs> he's, oh, no. He's also, he has a, a, a cardboard box strapped to his suspenders oh, that says that's, Podium that's what on it. Is. it. Okay, all right. That's what you're thinking, yeah. yeah. And Podium is spelled wrong, like Winnie the Pooh wrote it. Nice. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would, I would go, uh, I think I would go uh, Aviation Joker at the end, where he, where he shows up, yeah. where he's behind the the double double barrel machine gun dressed yeah. in like the uh yeah. the air uh yeah the, uh, the hero scarf goggles and stuff yeah i like that a lot that was that was a lot of fun those guns were so well animated the shot where uh when harley hits him in the head with the <laughs> yeah. thing and then they do that thing where he's just like passed out spinning in a circle that was amazing <laughs> And then he sinks in, and the guns tip up, and then drop down in with him a little bit. Yeah, I mean, and these guns have like uh, ellipses on the top because they're like you load them with these discs. I mean, they're like they're still cartoony, but they are very accurate. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, that was my other answer was a uh, air uh, pilot Joker with those two machine guns. Nice. Uh, what would you rate this one? I'm gonna go four. I, I think it's great. I don't think it's Heart of Ice level great. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what it would need to get it up there, but uh, yeah, four. I w- I'm I'm the same. I think it's I think it's really great. It's a lot of fun. Uh, it's a really good Harley episode, and it also it also continues Paul Dini's streak of his Joker being a lot harder edged and darker than a, a lot of the mm-hmm. other Jokers because his the 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 stuff he does in this is is goofy, but the underlying intent is actually very yeah. dark. Where he's going to atomic bomb the entire city and including harley including harley yes and he's he's uh he's being kind of a shithead to her and it's yeah it's a consistency he writes the best joker on the show i think yeah i don't know if you need the opening scene of the auction yeah that scene's kind of weird i thought you could probably do without it yes yeah, I mean, if you had to cut I, mean, I, I enjoy it it's different it's kind of a neat idea but if you had to cut something I would cut that. Mm. Cut I did. That I just... did like the the bomb sequence though, where he he's got the uh, old school cartoon bomb that then turns With his in, face on. Yeah, it. <laughs> that then turns into a jack in the box, but then that turns into a, a Joker gas bomb. I thought that was cool. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, <Yep. clears throat> yeah, I think that's going to do it for uh, Harlequinade and the Terrible Trio. A really good one and a not so good one. And uh, if you liked what you heard, if you want to give us a rating review on iTunes, that would be great. If you've got any questions for us, you can find us on uh, Twitter at Batass Podcast, B-A-T-T-A-S-S Podcast, or email. Uh, I think it's the Badass Podcast. I haven't checked it in a while, so I apologize if you've been sending emails and I haven't found them. 
do you have a patreon attached to this uh not directly no we have this uh, okay. this is all under the umbrella of the uh the penske podcast which yep. does have a patreon um mm-hmm. so you can find that through the penske file on twitter i'm sure there's a link there if, if that's something you're interested so all the work and hosting that west does for you you've never plugged the patreon to try to give him even a little bit of money well nobody listens to this show so i didn't think it was going to matter <laughs> oh man <laughs> I was kind of hoping that we would have the highest rating just because <laughs> I do Batman White Knight. But I'm happy to see that your Star Trek shit has really paid off over the years. You know, I think a big part of it mm-hmm. is just consistency because we do take yeah. big breaks in this show. Um, yeah. And we've been consistently doing Star Trek uh, twice yeah. weekly for like five years at this point. So Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's where I, uh, I, I had a YouTube channel. I still do. But I, I stopped adding to it because... You know, the online outrage got weird for a while, mm-hmm. and I wasn't sure, like, what, what the hell am I supposed to say anymore? Sure. Um, but I feel like if you want to have a successful podcast, you have to do it consistently, which I can't, or you have to dip into outrage culture in some way right. <laughs> and start slamming Star Wars movies. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, I think, not to go on a, uh, a editorial here at the end, but I think uh, the word criticism I think gets thrown around really loosely these days by a lot of people who are coming at it with uh, bad faith intentions. And yeah. a lot of these things that paint themselves as criticism are not that. It's just being mad yeah. about things that you particularly don't like about something, which is not what right. criticism is. So, Yeah, the bad faith part of that is huge. And I don't think people understand <clears throat> or even stop to think about what that means. Right. I mean, being an honest player and trying to be fair is a huge part of criticism. And I think the outrage culture doesn't care about that. They just want a clickbait type of headline and fighting and trolls to go on in their uh, comments section. And I mean, YouTube, it, 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 it works. I mean, the stuff that gets th- that is more controversial is the stuff that gets the clicks. So you, it's something yeah. you got to have to you have to make a decision early on whether or not you want to uh, uh-huh. go to the dark side, I guess. <laughs> so if we really get in trouble and need money for this channel, what we should do is take a beloved movie like Batman 89 mm-hmm. and then have a podcast titled Why Batman 89 is Racist and <laughs> created by the Illuminati. <laughs> hey, I watched that video. <laughs> you got one viewer. <laughs> Anything with conspiracy in it. <laughs> Sounds good to me. All right, thanks, guys. Uh, next time we will be back with, uh, let's see, we got Time Out of Joint and Catwalk, another Catwoman episode. We haven't seen her in a bit. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Let the good die, bro.